And thank you for joining in to worship. Boy, praise God. He is, he is good. He is so good. Welcome to the service today. Thank you so much for coming. It's a privilege and honor to be able to worship with you. And it's also a privilege and honor to be able to take the Word of God and then open it up with you as well to see exactly what God wants to communicate to us as individuals and also to us um, as a body. We're starting a new series um, this morning. And it's going to be a, a 12-week series. And uh, last night, somebody came up and said, that was kind of a somber sermon. And you, I try not to give somber sermons. I mean, that's just not my, that's just not, I want everybody to walk out completely alive. But today, I'm going to introduce the passage that we're going to be moving into. So you're kind of going to get the, the problem, and it's going to be 12 weeks. So you'll get one, which is the problem. But then you'll get number two for 11 weeks. It will just explain the amazing solution. <laughs> so it might be a little somber today. It might be going, oh, this is crazy. But don't worry, there's a solution. And it's written in our passage. And we get to look at it for one passage for 11 weeks. And you're not going to be bored <laughs> because it is a rich, rich passage. So what is the topic of our series? It's called The Believer's Family. When we look at uh, the book of Ephesians, which we started at the beginning of the year, we have broken that book up into four different series. And the first one was the believer's blessing, and then it moved to the believer's behavior, and then we're going to sit on this one passage for 12 weeks called the believer's family, and then in 2022, January, we're going to start the believer's battle, and then we'll go through that probably until Easter, and then we have completed the book of Ephesians. But the believer's family is what we'll be looking at, and we'll be focused on for the next 12 weeks, or I'll just say until, until Christmas. So before we get into the passage, there's some things that we just, we just need to know. We need to know about the family. We need to know about the home. And that's what this sermon is going to be about. Here's something we need to know. Number one, God created three institutions for the world's welfare. The home, the church, and the government. Created the home. Marriage was not designed by man. It was designed by God. And God's great wisdom, he instituted the first home. It was not man's idea. Man did not come up with it. People did not come up with it. Humans did not come up with it. God is the one that came up with it. And as he came up with it, he is also the one that gave the first bride away. You know, I do a lot of weddings. And when I do weddings, I tell you, it's, it's an honor to give brides away to the groom. It's, it's a celebration. Well, the first wedding that ever took place, God is the officiator. He was the one that's putting together God himself performed the first wedding in the Garden of Eden. God himself hallowed and sanctified Adam and Eve. Ephesians 5, which is our passage we'll be going through, but they just get it from Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. God's design, God's creation, God's thoughts. The next thing is God is the one that created the church. It was his mind. It was his thoughts. He is the one that put it together. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I, meaning God, will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. He is not giving the disciples the credit for building the church. He is looking at Peter and said, Peter, you are a rock. And on top of it... I will build the church. You're not. 
I will build my church. You'll not. It's my idea. It's my construction. It's my design. And it will be the thing that will change the world. And I will make sure that it happens in the gates of hell. Will not overcome it. So Peter, don't think you're the one that figured it out. Peter, don't think you're the one that has put it together. Peter, don't even think that I really even need you to get the job done. Because it's my design. It's my plan. And it will happen. That institution came from God not man. And then God created the institution of government, meaning it was his idea. It was his thoughts. It was his mind. Romans 13 says that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In other words, he's the one that thought of it. Did he think of taxes? I mean, if you look back at Exodus, you do get the unfolding of what a government looks like. You get the laws of the land, and then after the people are given the laws of the land, if you don't obey the laws of the land, somebody is supposed to step in. And all of a sudden, you get the establishment of the government. The government's supposed to step in. In other words, you get a law that says, do not murder. It says, do not murder. Well, what if somebody does murder? Does the family members go kill that person? No. If you read Exodus, you have the law that is given, and it says, do not murder. Somebody else goes after that person, and it's establishment of the government and laws. God is the one that put the government and established it and put it together. And therefore, why why would he put something together like this? Because the art is evil and desperately wicked, and we would annihilate ourselves if there wasn't a force even behind us in regards to making sure there's order. You look in a, a book in the Bible, it's called Judges. You know, well, Judges, where, where do you get the Judges at? Well, it's God's idea. It's God's mind. God's the one that put that together. So we just need to understand the concept that there's three institutions that are out there. The home, the church, and the government that God has put in place, I would just say, for our welfare, <laughs> even for our safety. And I'm not saying that the government provides all safety. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to say is that these things are in place by God. Number two, underneath the foundation of both church and government rests the home. I do a lot of work in Sierra Leone, Africa. And uh, it's a third world country. And it is rated right now uh, with the UN that it is the sixth poorest country um, in the entire world. And it is interesting taking, um, leaving the richest country and then walking into the poorest country and the dynamics that are going on in that country compared to this country. And uh, when you do that, you, you ask the question, you know, how do you build a nation that will look like America? Or how do you build a nation that will look like Sierra Leone? How does it come about? What has taken place that puts things into place for the nation to exist healthy or unhealthy. There's a book in the Bible of how to build a nation. In fact, there's descriptions, step by step, this is how to build a nation. And that book is called the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, if we read the Pentateuch, we see that Genesis pulls a whole story into 
the, uh, into Egypt. And when they go into Egypt, God's people are, you see a promise given to Abraham that you'll be a father of many nations, meaning that there's going to be a nation, and it's going to be a nation that God loves. And then they go into Egypt, and then they're 400 years into slavery. And then you see Moses rescue them out of Egypt. Well, they haven't been a nation. They've been slaves for 400 years. But they're going to be granted the promised land. So they were rescued out of Egypt, and we're going to take, move to the promised land, and a great nation was going to be built. Well, after they left Egypt, and they get ready to go in the promised land, they sent spies to see who they had to conquer to receive the promised land, and they got a little scared. When they got scared, the people came back and started fighting against God's plan. Starting to fight against God's leader, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And says, we cannot move into that land. And if you know the story, God says, you will not listen to me. And as a result of not listening to me, you will not enter the promised land. You will walk in circles for 40 years in a desert. Till all of you who made a decision that they refuse to follow me will die. And then I will take your children. And I'll take them to the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy is at the end of the 40 years it is written. And what happens is Moses starts to give sermons to his people. You know, remember, everybody else is dying, and they're going to build this nation. He gives sermons to the people to say, you are going to be a great nation. Let me tell you how to be a great nation. And through the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to get lots of different principles. One that says, obey the Lord's instructions. There's a whole chapter that goes, these are the blessings if you obey the Lord's instructions, and these are the curses if you obey the Lord's instructions. And then you'll get various laws, and you will get how to appoint judges uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll get the year of Jubilee, which is counseling debts, you know, that brings health to the economy in regards to building the nation. He'll also have uh, holidays that he wants you to celebrate. He says, I want you to celebrate the Passover. I want you to celebrate the Feast of the Weeks and, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. You also get things about when you go to war in regards to a nation. You'll get comments of this nation should be a lender, not a borrower, if you want to be a healthy nation, a strong nation. But then you get some chapters that are dedicated to something else. And here's one, how to deal with marriage violations. There's some instructions in there in regard to marriage violations. How to deal or not to have captive women be, don't marry them is what he's explaining. And it's just interesting stuff like, oh, well, this is interesting stuff. And then the rights of the firstborn. And, and also it talks about how to de- deal with rebellious children. So you read the book of Deuteronomy on how to build a nation. And there's something that's woven consistently through the book of Deuteronomy in regards to the structure of a nation. And you know what's woven through the book of Deuteronomy in regards to the structure of a nation as you're getting all these orders of how to build a nation? It's this. Teach them to your children. Teach them to your grandchildren. Make sure that all the information that Moses is giving today does not stop with you. Make sure everything goes to you and then goes directly into your home. And the reason why is because the nation will stop in one generation if it goes to you and does not go to your home. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 10, just to get this statement woven through the scripture. What nation is there that has statues and rules so righteous 
um, so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. I mean, he's bragging. Think about these laws. These are God's laws. These are absolutely wonderful. But they will stop on one generation if you don't make them known to your children and your children's children. Every time he says something big, these laws are so important, there's a statement that comes after it. They will stop if your children do not know them. Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said before me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may what? Teach them to your children. Brings it up again. It's like a broken record moving into chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing in the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Impress them on your children. They go there, but if they don't go there, your nation's going to fall. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your heart, on your hands, and bind them on, the fo- on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. It consistently goes on. See, I have taught you the decrees and the laws that the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land. And then also what? Teach them to your children. Move from 6 into 11, it's almost the exact same. Fix these words on your heart and on your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And then the leader of this pack was named Joshua that conquered the promised land with these people. And there's a little confusion because people are wanting to step away from the laws. People want to step away from God. And here's Joshua's words. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord... Choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua knows how to build a nation. He's not saying, but as for me, your leader, I will serve the Lord. He is saying, as for me and what I am taking to my home, because this thing that we are starting, this nation that we are starting, is not all about me. It is going to be only carried through them. Me and my house will have something that we're going to make happen. We'll serve the Lord. The hand, this is a common quote, a common statement, that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. 
Because those who are powerful and those who are strong, if you do not pass it to the next generation, then everything will end up dying with you. Number three, if the home is undermined, broken, and collapsed, the government and the churches will soon follow. To rephrase that, what is going on behind the closed doors of the house will automatically someday come to the surface for the whole world to see. Consistently comes to the surface for the whole world to see. A nation is only as strong as the homes that are represented inside of them. Meaning that the homes are the ones that are carrying the tone of the nation. We might think that the president carries the tone of the nation. Well, how did the president even get there? It's an expression of the home to even put him there. What has taken place inside of the home moves towards the surface. But who we are as a nation is guided by what has taken place behind the closed doors of a home. Nations show love because families show love. If love has taken place in the home, the nation, our country, is going to show love. Nations are moral, it's because families are moral. If nations give, it's because families are the ones that carry the giving. If nations sacrifice, and as families, because families are sacrificed, because families are given, because people are taking it to their children, and they're training their children to do it, and that system is working. Number four, the home is presently under the most serious assault it has ever been. Homes are, in America are lacking integrity. Homes in general are lacking commitment. Homes in general are lacking morality. They're, they're lacking focus. They're lacking care. Homes are, are lacking love. And how, how do we know that? There's so much drug abuse that is going behind the doors. How much drug abuse is going behind the doors of the home? Well, it's been brought to the polls. And it's like, make it legal so we can do it without a conscience. Well, what's it doing to a home? See, it's, it's hitting the surface. What is going behind the homes are even, is even going into the polls. And as a result, drugs that were once illegal are now completely and entirely legal. Sexual assaults that are happening in the home. Why are so many sexual assaults happening in the home? Well, if you look at the the computer and the access that we now have, well, the adults have, and all of a sudden the kids have, and the training, all of a sudden it takes place. And what is the result of that? It's all increased. Sexual abuses have increased. In fact, the statistics, last statistics, is one out of four. Children have been sexually molested by aunts, by uncles by parents, by boyfriends, by girlfriends that are walking inside of the homes. Child abuse has taken place. I was looking through um, um, researching on, on what is the biggest problems that the homes have. And one statement it said numerous times is there's arguments all the time. Well, arguments train a child. Arguments develop children. Arguments uh, train children to be somebody. Children are being raised by single parents. Neglect has taken place. And as we see all this, this happening, and we see all this taking place, we can ask the question, well, what is going on? What is happening in the homes? What has taken place in the world? Ephesians 6 is a passage written right close to the passage that we'll be working through in Ephesians 5, and it says this, 
Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Joshua was the leader to build a great nation. And he completely understood the impact to make sure that he would take God's laws, God's rules, and give them to the home because the home is the next generation. But Joshua isn't the only one that understands it. Satan understands it as well. And he understands it to the point that if he's going to invest resources into an area that would be very effective for the destruction of a country, for the destruction of the church, for the destruction of people, where do you think he would invest? Aggressively invest into a home. The devil's schemes, I've got some good ideas, is what this verse is saying and what God is exposing. And in these devil's schemes, our struggle is against, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. It's against authorities. It's against the powers of a dark world and the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Homes are being attacked. Why is homes being attacked? Because if you can win the homes... You can win the nation. If you can win the homes, if Satan can win the homes, he can win the church. And it does even get scary where churches are. Well, you know, the home's not that big of a deal. It's more about us. It's an investment that must take place in other churches because the churches would be at risk if our homes start to struggle. Letter A, like termites, the devil's schemes are eating away the very foundation of the home's social order. Our government, our Senate, has decided to be gender-inclusive. And, uh, and what is gender-inclusive? Well, it looks like this. It looks like take the structure of the people that are in the home and then redefine them to be something else outside of God's will. So we no longer call husbands and wives. We call husbands and wives partners. Uncles and aunts are no longer called uncles and aunts. They're called piblings, which stands for parent siblings. Fiancés are called betrothed, not fiancés anymore. Granddaughters and grandsons are called grandchild because it could be offensive to call someone a daughter or a son. Grandpa or grandma are not called grandpa and grandma. We need to call them grandparents. Mother, fathers are parents. Niece, nephews, are nibblings, chiblings, or sib kids, meaning siblings' kids. Humans are personal beings. Now, this is a really interesting one because we don't call it human, and the reason why is because there's a man in, behind the HU. So we don't say humans anymore. We say person or beings. Mankind, you gotta get rid of the man. What do you call mankind? You call them humankind. <laughs> you still got the man in there. And the reason why I want to point that out is because there's a devil's schemes that are behind it, and the people that are implementing it can't even keep up with the logic of it. They can't even keep up with the logic of it or what has taken place or was doing. In fact, I watched 
an interview and, um, of somebody that really promotes this extremely hard, um, somebody that is, that is in, in Congress. And it was just a, a, a statement of, of Abbott, you know, um, the Texas law in regards to abortion. And, uh, and you won't be able to find this interview because it's been taken off. I was going to show you the interview. But uh, um, the person first said, you know, Abbott was just a complete moron. And the reason why is because he doesn't understand the menstrual cycle of women. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the interview, she noticed that she messed up. And it goes, the menstrual cycle of humans. The menstrual cycle of, of people. And then, and then it just went downhill. <laughs> it just went down from hill because she didn't know what to say. She doesn't know what it is anymore because there's 300, according to what is going on in our country, there's 300 different genders and which ones menstruate and which ones don't, we don't really know anymore. It gets really, really confusing. Where do we come up with this garbage? We come up with it because our Satan has awesome schemes to bring an attack on a home. And even if it doesn't make sense, the schemes are still driven for the purpose of attacking our children. Because we all know the impact, whether positive or negative, that our fathers have had in our lives. We all know the impact, whether positive or negative, that mothers have had in our lives. We all know the power that they, can, they, they have. And we know what takes place inside of a home that what we need. We know it instinctively. Why is it being so threatened? Why is it so far under attack? Devil's schemes. Struggle is not against flesh and blood. Against principalities and rulers and authorities of this crazy, dark nation and the heavenly beings. B, like vultures, the devil's schemes are feeding on other children's minds, our children's minds through technology. We can go on and on in regards to what is taking place, but as a result of technology, everything is accessible. In fact, the latest, largest education uh, that children are receiving in regards to their sexuality and in regards to being, um, to being educated sexually is uh, pornographic sites. They're the ones that are now educating our children, more so than parents, more so than even churches. And it is happening at such a very, very young age. As a result, children are lonely because of the interaction that is happening, or because of the, um, the lack of interaction that has taken place. Children are much more gullible because everything is being presented. And children are constantly hurt and constantly receiving rejection as a result of how many likes they receive on what is post, or how many dislikes they receive on what is post, or on what all their friends are doing and what they are being left out of. It's just a constant attack on our children. Let us see. Lying, like a lion thief, the devil's schemes are confusing our children by bringing into question their identity. It's gotten as crazy as to say, let the babies decide their gender. And they can't decide their gender when they're babies, but it's completely inappropriate for a doctor to make a decision of their gender. So you need to wait until they can make the decision, like at the age of, of six or at the age, age of eight, because then they'll be able to make, to be able to make those decisions. Well, logically, that doesn't make any sense. 
But it doesn't need to make any sense logically if you're Satan bringing schemes to destroy the world and going after our children and ruin them. It doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to be in place if it's going to be the destruction that our world is having. Like a lion thief, the devil's schemes are confusing our children by bringing into questions their identity. And what do we mean by that? Like I mentioned before, I think there's something like 367 identities that have all of a sudden been created outside of two sexual identities. Male, female has turned into 360. And, and it's a whole educational process of, of a, whether you're an agender or you're not an agender or if you're um, an endogender, an anongender, an antigender, a bigender, a biogender, an exgender, a gender blank, a gender flow, a gender fluid, a gender neutral, a gender punk, a gender queer, a transgender. That's just a fast statement that children are now required to figure out because it's being pushed so hard. It's being pushed so hard. And if they figure out any of those mentioned or any of the other ones, they have completely denied who they are. They've completely denied who they are. Now we can say, you know, it's all about love and churches can embrace it in one sense. How can we? And if it's such an aggressive attack on our children. If our children are in mind, then the aggression of prayer and the aggression of us holding strong families has to be there. Has to be there. Because God has given us a clear statement of how powerful the family is and how to make sure you have a powerful and beautiful impact on the family. Number five, one of the world's greatest needs today is that God's people establish and maintain Christian homes based on biblical principles for the sake of the country and for the sake of the church. Got some good news. (laughs) Got some good news. As God doesn't say invest into the home, He says, invest into the home and let me tell you what to do with it and how to invest into it. And he gives us a passage that has all the material you'll need to transform your home, to transform your country, to transform the church. In fact, this is how how come the Bible is so cool, is everything's wrapped up into a single book. Now, if you're going to wrap everything up into a single book, you're going to have to make powerful, 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 powerful statements that are transforming statements. And here, in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, what are we going to get? We're going to get a package of powerful statements of how to transform a home, how to build a home, and how to function inside of a home for the purpose of bringing life to your children, to your mate, to the country, and to the church. All wrapped up in one package. That's why... I can't do it with only without 11 weeks to work through it. What we want to do is we want to read through this passage because for the next 11 weeks that we're going to go through this passage, uh, we're going to unfold it, every single corner of it. And when we unfold every single corner of it, the purpose of unfolding it is for transformation. The purpose for unfolding it is getting us in line exactly what God wants to do with our homes, our families, and our relationships between husband and wife. So I'm just going to read it. And as we read it, I want you to think about it. And I want you to read it for 11 weeks. And I don't want you to miss a week when you come. 
And the reason why is because if it transforms a home, it transforms a church, and it transforms a nation. And it is the Word of God, the one that has built this covenant. Let's read it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave him up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stainless or wrinkle, without stains or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds it, cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. Fathers, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God, we thank you for not leaving us empty-handed. As God, you have given us instructions in your words, but you also given us explanations on how to fulfill these instructions. We thank you specifically for this passage in Ephesians. And God, as us as individuals and as us as a church, works through this passage, I just pray that our homes would be transformed into your image, that our homes would be impacted for the purpose of your glory, for the purpose of our mates, for the purpose of our children, for the purpose of our church, for the purpose of our government. God, we long to know what the Creator wants in this covenant of marriage that He has created. And I just pray, God, that as we look in this passage, that we'll be challenged and that we'll enjoy it as we're challenged in regards to your structure. In Christ's name, amen.